You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. Today we're continuing the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked and starting a new story arc, The Fall of Riley Island. If you haven't listened to the first five chapters of The Moon Shadow, go back and listen to those before continuing. Those chapters make up a complete story arc called Cephalopod Sign and set the stage for the current story. Let's get to it, but first, I want to hear from you. Email me at truthsandhalftruths at gmail.com. Give me your recommendations for books, movies, games, other podcasts, and let me know what you think about the show. And keep listening after this episode for a recommendation from me. Also, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever. Uh, Tell a friend. It really helps to expand the audience and expose our show to more people. So thanks. The Fall of Riley Island. And now, Lies and Half-Truths presents The Moon Shadow, first book of the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked, part two, The Fall of Riley Island, chapter six. The old salvage couple complained all the way to the nearest island, where Tamberline hissed them off the moon shadow and onto the empty pier of a sleepy fishing town in one of the hottest and wettest corners of the South Sea. Even the angel had begun to show signs of annoyance. Woodrow thought he might have seen a vague smile on his lips at the sight of the couple stomping and cursing their way down the wood planks and away from the moon shadow. Cassandra paid no attention to their departure, not even bothering to leave the Moonshadow's library, where she had been lounging all afternoon beneath a tome of celestial philosophy. Woodrow sat down next to her and sighed. Cycles and epicycles? Cassandra said without putting the book down. Cosmology is so confusing. I wonder how they do their navigating up there. I mean, they can't go by the stars. Woodrow shrugged. After a moment, Cassandra looked over the top of her book at him. What? You think they'll be all right? Who? She said. Those villains? Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Said Woodrow, with a half-hearted smile. But I did sink there. Cassandra sat up. Hey, I have an idea. What? I think we should pick up some cargo. Where are we going next? I don't know. Haven't decided yet. Well, you need money. You have a ship. Why not deliver some spice or something? Because I wouldn't even know how to go about getting spice or whatever. You leave that to me. Woodrow rubbed the back of his neck. All right, I guess. I'm sure the angel will be happy about that. Cassandra stopped in the middle of standing. What do you mean? Oh, I don't know. The angel thinks money is magical or something. He hasn't been here long. She nodded distantly and then got up. I'll go see what I can wrangle up. 
You better stay here, though. You and your ship have a pretty nefarious reputation. Woodrow frowned. Yeah, that's been a problem. Not for a privateer, Cassandra said, and winked. They set off later that afternoon, bound for the Krongan Islands, with several barrels of yellow, red, and orange spice. Where did this all come from? Woodrow asked Cassandra after setting the moon shadow on her course. That island didn't exactly look like a major trading port. Best not to ask, she replied and ducked into the library. A few days later, the Krongan Islands appeared on the western horizon, a series of emerald mountains rising from the crystalline sea. Woodrow dropped the moon shadow down into the water. Now we just look like an ordinary ship, he told Cassandra. Not an ordinary one she said. But it's a better disguise than no disguise, I suppose. Maybe now people won't be so scared of you. Pretending to be an ordinary ship slowed the Moonshadow's approach and gave Woodrow time to take in the Krongan Islands from a distance. They looked like nothing he'd ever seen before. He had read that there were hundreds of islands in the Krongan archipelago. From what he could see, that wasn't hyperbole. The islands varied in size, but were of a uniform shape, elongated domes that rose almost straight up from the water. They clustered together so closely in some places that they seemed almost like tall buildings in a city center. Woodrow had to dock the moon shadow some distance from the eastmost island, the island of Batoon. A network of piers stretched out from the island's base in all directions and climbed up its side like scaffolding. Shabby huts rose from the wood planking over the water, while some elegant structures had been built closer to the island's base or clinging to the steep slope. We can't get any closer? Woodrow wondered aloud. Cassandra had been reading over the shipping envoys for the spice. She looked up. The water's too shallow for large vessels, she explained. It's because of the coral reef connecting the islands. You know, I can get you a lot more money for this spice. There's a privateer's guild branch office here. They could fence it for cheap. What do you mean? Steal our own cargo? It was probably stolen to begin with. Woodrow opened his mouth to say something, then shut it. He opened it to say something else, then shut it again. Eventually, he settled on, Probably stolen? Think about it, Cassandra said. No, I'm not stealing. Cassandra gave him a confused look, then a disbelieving one. Finally, she shrugged. How long will we be at port? We should stay the night. Best Krongenut milk in the world, right here. Also, I want to visit the guild. Woodrow frowned. She put her hand on his arm and leaned in confidingly. You should come with me. The rest of the day, Woodrow spent standing in lines and filling out paperwork at both the Krongen Islands Customs Office and the Commerce Department. By the time he was finished with his business, he almost wished he'd taken Cassandra up on her offer to sell the cargo for him. He returned to the Moonshadow just before sundown, carrying a small chest filled with silver coins. When he crossed the gangplank onto the Moonshadow's deck, he gave the angel a wary look. Can't you go inside? They're going to freak everyone out. The angel raised an eyebrow at him, but didn't move. Woodrow shook the chest, rattling the coins within. I've got money, he coaxed. 
In the ship's library, the angel leaned over the chest and studied its contents without touching them. Not bad, huh? Woodrow said. Cassandra grinned. Not bad, but I could have got you more. What are you going to do with it? I don't know, said Woodrow, with a ponderous frown. You have zero overhead with your ship and your crew. I mean, other than making sure Tam Tam stays fed. I say we reinvest it. We? Yeah, we. I'll think about it. What could go wrong? Many, many things. I said I'll think about it. Fine. In the meantime, Cassandra said, snatching a few coins from the chest. It's high time you tried some Kronganut milk. The two of them strolled along the boardwalk in the tropical warmth of the gathering night. They passed vendor stalls, selling mostly fish and bulbed stalks of sea plants. Where are we going? Woodrow asked, after they passed two separate Kronganut vendors. We're going for the good stuff in the island's interior. You mean all the way on top of the island? Nope, in the island. There's a guild office there, too. She pushed him into a little steam-powered water taxi. The taxi let them off in an upscale neighborhood near the island's base, which now towered above them, a mountain covered in a drooping jungle with wooden man-made structures growing out of it like mushrooms from a tree trunk. Cassandra paid the boatman with a silver coin, and he gave her several dingy copper ones in return. After that, the youths climbed a series of wooden stairs and catwalks till they reached the entrance to the island's interior. I see, Woodrow said as they approached the entrance. We are literally going inside the island. In the passage, oil lamps hung from wooden support beams, giving off a sweet scent. Smells delicious in here, Woodrow commented. The lamps all burn Kronganut oil. It's basically the one product they have around here. All these islands are covered in Kronganut trees. They use them for everything. The nuts and the wood. You mean, all those huts out there came from these islands? It's a wonder they even have trees left. Nah, Kronganut trees are the fastest growing trees in the world. They're practically a pest. Presently, they found themselves in the subterranean city center, surrounded by all the expected bustle. Cassandra led Woodrow down a dimly lit side street and then a narrow alley until they came to a door. This is the back door, Cassandra said. To what? She rapped on the door with her knuckles. The guild branch office, of course. The man who opened the door didn't exactly fit the image of a pirate, or even of the more respectable term, privateer. He had a thin mustache and wire-framed eyeglasses perched upon his long, delicate nose. The man tilted his head back to more adequately look down upon the pair. Secret business with the guild, have you? He said, while managing to appear both bored and bothered. No, just need the silent room for a little bit, Cassandra responded, as if she hadn't noticed the man's annoyance. Of course, he said dryly, but didn't move. Cassandra turned around and lifted the back of her shirt. She held the position long enough to make sure the man had a good look, then dropped it and turned around again. A drifter, hmm? said the man. All right, I'll allow it. The guild office wasn't much to look at. Papers, maps, more than one abacus. The silent room was equally unimpressive, just a round room with a low table and cushions to sit on. It had no windows and only one door, 
thick, velvety fabric framed the door so that it closed with a muffled whoosh and allowed no sound to escape. So, said Woodrow, when he and Cassandra were alone inside, is this where we get the Kronganet milk? Cassandra gave him a glare and a smile. I guess it's only fair, she said, and rapped on the door with her knuckles. Sorry, I just needed a safe place for us to talk. Safe from what? You know, angels. Before Woodrow could express further dismay, the door swooshed open forty-five degrees and the guildman's face appeared tentatively in the gap. I'm sorry, he said, with over-thick bemusement in his voice. Did you just rap on the door to summon me? Cassandra seemed unperturbed by the man's evident disbelief. She held out some coins. We might be here a while. This should be enough for two Kronganet milks. The rest is yours. Thanks. With that, she turned back to Woodrow, her hand still held aloft, coins pinched between thumb and forefinger, awaiting the man's tacit acquiescence. It shouldn't be long, she told Woodrow. There's a vendor on every corner or so. She tilted her head toward the guildman. Five, ten minutes? The man remained motionless, save for his mouth, which had fallen open slightly. His eyes narrowed on her. It seemed he was on the verge of asking another question in abject incredulity when Cassandra lost patience, snatched up one of his hands, and pressed the coins into them. Thank you, that is all, she said, and pulled the door closed. Shouldn't be long, she assured Woodrow, and took a seat on one of the cushions, setting her back straight and folding her hands on the surface of the low table. So, Woodrow, how would you like to join the guild? The Privateer's Guild? Cassandra made a long face. What else? Do I have to? What do you mean? Woodrow, do you have any idea what an honor it is to be invited to join? Yes. No. I don't know, he said, then slumped down at the table across from her. Is there, like, a rule about drifts or something? You'd have to go on a drift, yes. But under the circumstances, they might consider what you're doing now adrift. No, I mean, can you stay on the moonshadow if I'm not in the guild? Cassandra's posture went slightly slack. Her hands, which had previously been folded, melted against the table. Her eyes questioned him for several silent heartbeats. Finally, she looked at the table. As long as I'm learning virtue and villainy from those who make their living from the sea... I can choose my own course. But, you know, eventually, I have to move on. Yeah, of course, I know that. But for right now, I don't have to be in the guild? You can stay? Yes, of course. Woodrow took a thoughtful breath. All right, no thank you then. I'd rather not join. Cassandra studied him like an arithmetic problem. I don't understand. I just don't see what... Good could come of it, Woodrow said. I have what I need right now. What good? The guild does a lot of good, Cassandra said, holding out a hand, ready to tick off a list on her fingers. They patrol unauthorized? Woodrow cut her off with a sardonic laugh. You're going to argue the virtues of piracy? We're way more than pirates, Woodrow. Fine, I believe you, Woodrow began to ramble. 
But trust me, they're not going to be happy with me as a ship captain. I'm no pirate, and I happen to have a lot of problems at the moment. Like a bounty on my ship. And what if the guild decides they want the moon shadow for themselves? What does being in the guild even entail? Once again, I'm not a pirate. Whatever my reputation happens to be. Cassandra reached across the table and placed her hand on his. Woodrow, she said, her voice dulcet. I've heard the rumors about you, about the moon shadow. Trust me when I say I wouldn't be asking you to join the guild if I thought they were true. Woodrow's eyes fell. He looked as though he were watching something far, far away, down through the surface of the table. Well, then I should tell you, he said, his words low and tight, forced from his constricted throat, that the stories are true, mostly. Then he told her the story of the fall of Riley Island and his own terrible role in its doom. Thanks for listening. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was written by Josiah Martins and original music was provided by Mackenzie Stubbert. I'd like to take a moment to thank my patrons, and in particular, I'd like to call out Savo Keslevang. Keslevang? I, when Savo started supporting me, I went to check out her Patreon page and found that she is the creator of this really great illustrated novel called Feifel's Crusade, which you can read online at knightsirrelevant.com. That is K-N-I-G-H-T-S-I-R-R-E-L-E-V-A-N-T dot com. If you like the fantasy stories that, that I do, I think you, you might really enjoy her work. And finally, of course, please uh, take a moment to rate and review uh, this show. It'll really help to get, um, to get it in front of more, more people uh, who might be interested. Um, and again, my email is truthsandhalftruths at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.